Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, Mr. Pfeiffer. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Can I have your attention, please? I'm the advertising man for a very funny new movie called The Hollywood Nights. Come on. Now, now wait a minute. We got a problem with the coming attractions. Hey, come on, will you give me a break? I'm on your side. The problem is they won't let me show you any of the good stuff. And believe me, it's really good. Like they won't let me show you what this Hollywood night peeping Tom with a Polaroid's taking pictures of. And I definitely can't show you what the cheerleader in the middle forgot to wear. But believe me, it raised more than a few eyebrows. This Hollywood night just did something really humiliating. You are so immature. I am not immature. But can I show you what it was? No way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pfeiffer Fridays, where we walk you through the films of one Michelle Pfeiffer, and every F word automatically has a silent P. I'm Michael McLean. And I'm Jerry Downey. And today we are covering 1980s The Hollywood Nights, directed by Floyd Muttrux, and which is starring, um, which stars Robert Wool, Fran Drescher, and Tony Danza, and Michelle Pfeiffer in their film debuts with La Pfeiffer as, who else really, but Susie Q. We had a very fun, um, do and explain where we had to find this movie, Jerry? We really had to go looking for it. Oh, we did. We found it in a streaming site with air quotes around streaming. And the first version we found um, was dubbed in Russian. I don't know who wants to watch the Hollywood Nights in Russian, but if you do, DM us, we'll send you the link. And then we found the real English version and had the joy of watching this movie for real. I really thought we were going to get off the hook. Like, I thought if you could not find a English version or just one that was not dubbed over, I thought, well, you know, maybe we won't be a completist podcast. Right. This is why we exist, is to watch every Michelle Pfeiffer movie even the ones that you don't want to. That's why we're here, is to tell you about them. It's true. I really had to remind myself of our sacred duty on this one. Well, we're going hard on these three. Is it okay if I do the telling about our next four episodes? Absolutely, go right ahead. So what we're doing is we have managed to track down in some form or fashion Michelle Pfeiffer's first three movies, which are very hard to find because they are titles you've probably never heard of in your entire life. Mm -hmm. So we're going, for the first time really, we're going in chronological order because even our 1996 miniseries, we did a little out of order in terms of release date. So today will be The Hollywood Nights. Next up will be Falling in Love Again, also 1980. And then we will be doing Charlie Chan and The Curse of the Dragon Queen, so get ready for that one. Yeah. And then the most exciting news is we're going to cap that with episode 14, which means we'll finally be able to talk about Grease 2. So there is a light at the, t a light at the end of this, this tough tunnel that we might be about to embark on. Right. And as we said, this is your time to log on and hear about these movies of Michelle Fivers, which you will probably never watch, and then get to hear about Grease 2 and go watch Grease 2. It's the prize at the bottom of this of this really messy Cracker Jack box is the Grease <laughs> Just pulled that metaphor out of there. I, I feel like I, I wrote down a synopsis of this movie that I think I basically put it down in one sentence. 
I, I can read you because it feels like I can pr pretty much just sum it up for you really quickly. I wrote down teens protesting the drive-in closing by terrorizing the authority figures in town. I mean, that, that about sums it up. <laughs> what did you, did you, did you kind of know, like maybe from maybe minute one, that this was going to be a special moment? <laughs> I, well, it kicks off with that fun little voiceover, which ends with a friend with weed is a friend indeed. And I was just like, I was not expecting this to be good. My expectations are now cemented. But at the very least, maybe there's going to be some enjoyable stuff in here. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of accurate. I think the enjoyable part was when I realized at first, I was like, oh, this is dubbed in, a, this is dubbed in Russian. Oh, this could be a really interesting experiment uh, to see if I can figure out what this movie is about while someone, someone's just blind, someone kind of droll Russian is just pouring over the speakers. I know, who knew that Michelle Pfeiffer's first movie was in Russian? I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> our, all our listeners are going to be really interested to hear about this. I don't think they probably even know this, that her first the range, the range that she has. From, from movie one, she's showing us she's got what it takes. It's, I also knew that I was in for a different kind of movie when probably the first two minutes, we have, you know, a topless woman by the pool and kind of a pervy man in the backyard trying to take pictures of him or try to film them on his video, video camera. Yeah, and, was, and mooning. There's yeah. mooning in like the first three minutes. There's a lot of mooning in this movie. There's so much mooning. I think that's what the movie should be called, really. Um, <laughs> mooning. So I knew that I was in for a, I was like, okay, this is a little, you know, in terms of a major studio, Paramount, no, Columbia, right? Not Paramount, Columbia. Yes. Um, produced this. I was like, huh, this is a little different. This feels like it's catering to a specific crowd, maybe a specific time of day. I thought, you know, do they only show this movie like at midnight in the 80s? Like, was this like a midnight movie? I, I didn't know. <laughs> it feels very much like it's trying to cash in on that nostalgia factor that you have with something like Grease or American Graffiti, while also kind of having a baby with like Animal House. Mm -hmm. shenanigans like it it felt like it was cherry picking a lot of good things from other movies that are good and that people enjoy and then just throwing them at the wall and making this movie and expecting it to be good yeah but it does it does feel like if, if greece were rated r you know if they really leaned into it yeah because that's essentially what the hollywood knights are they're they feel very much like the t-birds Yes. I even think I would, I would want the Hollywood Knights jacket more than I want the T-Birds jacket. I thought their jacket was pretty cute. That's fair. And they That's had, absolutely fair. And they had little license plates. They seemed like a much firmer establishment than the T-Birds. And the Hollywood Knights, it was, I guess you would say they're, they're, they're described as a car club, mm -hmm. the, which I guess that means that they predominantly hang out in their cars and, and speed race through the streets. Um, they are defined by their vehicles, clearly, much like Greece, the T-Birds had their Grease Lightning, Hollywood Knights had their cars. Exactly. 
they're definitely more of an anarchy focused group. Yeah, just they're, the, it kind of feels like that moment in, in Greece at the dance when Putsy and Sunny and Duty moon the camera. Yeah. If Greece were about those three, yeah. it would be the Hollywood Nights. Because I even think, what's his, what's his name? Newbomb Turk, N-E-W-B-O-M-B is his first name, if, I, if I'm... If yeah, I'm, that is his first name. And then Turk, T-U-R-K. He's no Danny Zuko. He's definitely like a, if Sonny Putsy or Duty, is that? Yes. One of them ran the T-Birds. That's who, that's who Newbomb Turk is. Newbomb. Yes. He's the reason I thought of Animal House, because he feels very much of the Animal House ilk. It, it also is one of those things that I, I feel like all of these people are in high school. Yes, but yeah. instead of casting all late 20s, early 30s as high schoolers, they cast people that look pretty high school age. And then Newbaum is just like, oh, you're about to turn 30. Yeah, that was really pointed when, to maybe skip forward a little bit to probably a highlight for me is when he and his, he and Fran Drescher are trying to um, get it on in the back seat of their car. And, you know, he and poor Turk is experiencing, I imagine a very common high school problem, premature ejaculation. And I was like, you know, for a 30 year old like Newbum Turk, I wonder if this is still a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt more like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is a 30 year old playing a high schooler. And in that scene when he's just, when he, when he, when he comes too early. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> that, no, you are correct. That, that was one of the high points of the movie for me, but not because of him, but because yeah. of baby Fran Drescher in the back seat, just shouting yeah. in pure Fran Fine voice, Turk, did you come? Did you come? And he says, a little. <laughs> and then, and then when he get, becomes, you know, just so, Frustrated with Fran Drescher, he's like, I'm glad I came. <laughs> and it's just that kind of humor the whole way through. What did I, there's, uh, did you hear about the guy with the five penises? His pants fit him like a glove. Uh, you squirrels better have nuts in your mouth or you're going downtown when he's, um, when the boys are up in the tree, peeping on Fran Drescher and her late once again just so happened to stop in their car in the middle of the woods to change their clothes. Yeah, they wanted to pretty up. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's just that kind of crass humor. And, and some, some of it I did think it was funny, you know, that Fran Drescher in the back seat got me giggling, but... I laughed. Yeah. But for the most part, you can tell they are catering to a specific demographic with this, with the humor. It sort of feels like it rides on shock humor sometimes sure. because I feel like <laughs> that's when I laughed out loud the most at this movie, which I did. Like, it may be complete garbage, but it did manage to make me laugh at some points. And it's because when they reach the height of stupidity of what's coming out of these people's mouths, it just surprised me so much that I had to laugh at it. Yeah, the, um, the, the bit where I, I couldn't really tell you. I, I guess it's, it's, it's a... It's a it's a fundraiser at a con talking about the one the one handed viol the one armed violinist. I'm not really sure where what's happening why these, but I but I think the Hollywood Knights have um have crashed this party, 
And I think it's when the one-armed violinist goes to take a bow and he tucks the bow of his violin under his penis, but the, the, the penis doesn't look like any penis. It looks like kind of like a, a, a kind of a finger sausage covered with um, like a tube sock. And yeah, that kind of shock humor is just like, oh, whoa, okay, whoa. Um, yeah. It almost is maybe a precursor to Judd Apatow maybe in his early movies, I don't know. I kind of reminded of maybe a little bit of that, maybe super bad humor, that kind of shock humor. But even then, I feel like, I feel like Judd Apatow has a sort of a polish, like he's, he's really trying to go mainstream and not always trying to just go with the low-hanging fruit. And this is a movie of, of low-hanging fruit, like no tea, no shade. It's what it is. And it, it feels like what it's trying to do, it succeeds at. It doesn't make it a good movie, though. No, no. I think you can maybe have some low-hanging fruit, but you can still make it, you know, you can still make it enjoyable. Which is kind of where Michelle works in for me, is she and Tony Danza playing these high school sweethearts. There's really no comedy for them. They're little sub arc, whatever you want to call it, because really that's maybe 15 minutes of an hour and a half long movie. Feels like the point that they're trying to have like pretty real stakes because they're in a quote unquote committed relationship and are experiencing problems because she wants to have a movie career and he's worried he's going to lose her to a movie career. And so they really don't have any funny lines between them. They, they're really wanting them to sort of be the stable, dramatic heft of the movie, I, I guess. Yeah, but no, that there's so much shenanigans going on that there's no way that it can support. And aside from Danza being one of the Hollywood Knights, even though you would never know that from the movie, and then Michelle Pfeiffer working at the drive-in that's about to get torn down, they really don't belong in this in this movie. They have no place in anything that's happening for the rest of the rest of the movie. No. And Michelle, do you know how old she was when she did this one? At, she was 22 at the time of release. Okay. She looks like a Malibu Barbie doll. She, I think she definitely looks a part of that kind of 60s roller girl, for sure. Um, but besides that note of, you know, she wants a movie career and doesn't know what to do about her boyfriend and how to keep the relationship going or where, where it should go, that's all she gets to play. And maybe, you know, for starting out in Hollywood, you know, with this performance, you know, we all have to start somewhere. And, you know, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's funny coming off the, all these movies that we've been watching where she does such dynamic work to kind of watch something that's maybe equitable to maybe her performance into Jillian, even though I think with Jillian, there's a little bit more there, just a little bit more. But to see something where she is playing just, okay, just this one note, it's a little like, uh, you know, she can do more, but luckily she was given the opportunity to show more later on in her career, but. Right. And I mean, she only had a handful of TV episode work 
yeah, before coming on to this because she won she won Miss Orange County 78 and that's when she got an agent I'm pretty sure so she only had you know this was released in 80 they were they were shooting in 80 79 something like that so she had only a year to a year and a half of actual experience before she signed on to this and it's it's interesting to watch her because I think she actually gets off easy not having any of the shenanigans if you're watching this movie to watch Michelle Pfeiffer mm -hmm. because you can see sort of this natural ability she has to sort of spit yeah. out even not great dialogue and still have it sound natural and like she's a real person. It's, it's lacking some of the polish she gains mm -hmm. later on, but you can still definitely see the potential that she has, especially, you know, just coming off recently Scarface, which up to this point was the earliest movie we had talked about. Mm -hmm. You can definitely see that she knows how to, how to make a character out of nothing, really. Yes, for sure. It reminded me for some reason, when you said like there's, the polish is missing that we would see later on. It reminded me of, randomly, of Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone how I think they're two very, obviously very different things, but I remember seeing her in that movie and kind of post Hunger Games, all her big success that she'd had, you know, her big breakthrough moments. And to see kind of that raw talent, to see that ability to, captivate didn't sound like the right word, especially for that performance in Winter's Bone, but, um, you know, to be a screen presence, to, to show up on screen and to make into, um, draw an audience to you. I definitely felt that with Michelle in this, just like I felt it with Jennifer. Yeah, I, I wish she had more to do and I, I did miss her. You know, when, when we were, um, when all those shenanigans were going on, they were pissing into the, pissing into the punch at the party and just being crazy people all over the place. I really miss that kind of nice grounded presence that Michelle brought to everything and I think that says something about her, you know, their first credit that she's able to be that memorable. Yeah, she was, she was doing exactly what was asked of her here. Mm -hmm. And shockingly, like, not shockingly, I do like Tony Danza. It's just, you don't really think of Tony Danza in drama, but like Tony Danza is doing a really nice work opposite her as, as well. Their, their moments are really sweet together. And it is kind of a nice break from everything else but again you kind of wish that at some point they were they were part of the same movie as everyone else it just sort of because everything else is so high comedy and so joke after joke even though they're doing good work it does feel like the action just sort of grinds to a halt when it focuses on their story i have to say another person that stood out to me was um I guess, is it Lee French who plays Mrs. Freeman? I think that's her name, who is, has the hots for... Sleeping with the man that we don't really know what he does, aside from bang her in random locations. Yeah, I just thought she also kind of knew what... She, she kind of knew the comedy she was supposed to be hitting. I just thought some of her delivery, especially when um, she gets caught in the back seat by... This character of Dudley, and again, I'm not quite sure what who Dudley is, why he keeps on showing up, and why his mother keeps on wanting to practice. If I were a rich man with him, 
Um, but when he catches her in the back seat and she's trying to cover up the fact that there's a man between her legs, pretty great comedy. I was like, she's doing great. And then in the, uh, in the party scene when she's sipping the punch, she says, I've had this taste in my mouth before. <laughs> pretty much um, had to leave the room with that one or just kind of put down my journal and just take a 45 minute nap after that one. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she's definitely like the main buzzkill trope of the movie in terms of being the antagonist to the Hollywood Knights. And she knows exactly what she's there to do. And she, she delivers. Like she is like her first scene, she's just sort of that high maintenance Carol Brady on speed sort of sort of presence. And then when the shenanigans start happening and she loses her cool, it's yeah, it's it's quite funny. And then another point that I noticed halfway through is they kept on mentioning, I, I think this helped kind of ground me in where we were. I still wasn't quite sure that we were in the 60s. It didn't read as the 60s to me immediately um, when the movie began. But um, when the boys were talking about being drafted, <laughs> there's that, it does kind of feel like a random note. It, it is very, of course, these boys at this time in their lives would be would be having to think about the draft and, and what was happening in Vietnam. And so it feels a little bit like hints of dogfight a little bit where you've got these boys kind of having their one last hurrah before they have, they're gonna be shipped off. It's kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Um, and it also was like, oh God, how tragic, you know? You're choosing to spend some of your last nights together doing this? Hey, fellas, like, you really want to spend your, your last night maybe mooning. All right. But um, I don't think that note, you know, it's there. And I'm sure they wanted to kind of give some, almost like the subplot of Michelle and Tony Danza, they wanted to give another kind of subplot of a very real thing that was happening to these people. But I don't think it really, yeah, it didn't, it doesn't really land at all. But no, I, yeah, they they needed like one more little thing in, in the dramatic side of the coin. And really, it almost feels like it's just that one random Hollywood night that works with Tony Danza that is going, that is being drafted. But yeah, it felt out of, it felt out of place. It really did feel like this should have been, I keep going back to it, but a movie like Animal House, where it really is just pranks the the whole the whole run, and I guess another I think the last thing I have about it is are the two cop characters idiots <laughs> two idiot cops who are trying to keep these teens in line and they just keep getting food thrown at them and oh my god I'm trying to think it's like there must be kind of are there cop characters or kind of authority figures like that that we've, that we've seen in these teen movies maybe somebody like the principal in Ferris Bueller. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because, you know, of course, the poor, what is Principal, Principal Ed Rooney? Is yes. That Principal Ed Rooney? Yes. Oh, they just love Ferris. They think he's a righteous dude. Um, what a little asshole. I, I guess the, the very common thing is, is Ed Rooney um, in Ferris Bueller. I think Ed Rooney is a much, it comes off as a much better character than, than these two idiot cops. But I think in the final showdown in the, in the bathroom when one of the cops has to deal with an overflowed 
low toilet and being locked in. I was like, I've seen this before. This feels like, you know, a, a high schooler's revenge that I've seen before. Um, <laughs> and they were just terrible cops, you know, and they kept on just being like, you know, calling these kids, you know, every name under the sun, you know, you son of a bitch, you move your car. Just like, like, oh God, maybe I want to terrorize these cops too. <laughs> yeah, no, they were, they were absolute idiots. But I still like, <laughs> they actually had more of like that shock humor aspect I was talking about for me where some of the stuff that came out of, especially the the main one that gets locked in the bathroom, who I'm blanking, Bimbo. Some of the stuff that came out of his mouth was so stupid, but was just said with such sincerity mm -hmm. that you had to laugh at it. Like the one that got me, it was toward the beginning of the movie when he walked up and was just like, something about if, if you do this, your ass is grass and I'm the lawnmower. I was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. All right. I also, just to go back to her real quick, I love, I love that Fran Drescher has just been unapologetically herself in every performance she's done for nigh on 40 years now. Yeah. Because the movie opens, like you said, with she and her friends tanning in the backyard and all you see are the backs of their heads, but you hear you, <laughs> one of the girls talking and you're just like, oh, oh, it's baby Fran Drescher, like before you even see her. And when she's going off on her, the first date she has to that dance and she's yelling at him for not having a good time and the way she talks about having a good time, she just goes, fun, music, pastrami. Just like, thank you. Fran Drescher for, for being here and getting me through this movie. You know, your consistency is what we applaud you for. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your contribution. Yeah. But to be honest, I ain't got much else. My curious fact was in reading about this movie because apparently on like the DVD commentary track, the director Floyd Mutrix says that he was slated to be directing Urban Cowboy oh. instead of this. And he was very on board with casting Michelle Pfeiffer in the Deborah Winger role in Urban Cowboy. And then of course, like that didn't happen and it switched hands and whoever directed Urban Cowboy basically was just like, absolutely not. I'm only casting Deborah Winger, go, go away. But he, he apparently was very gung-ho about getting Michelle Pfeiffer into the movies to the point where he was literally going to basically have her film debut be a lead role in Urban Cowboy. And I was just thinking, you know, Urban Cowboy was well-received, like not a rave, but definitely more positive review reviews than this got. And I was just thinking, like, where... This, this movie, and I'm just going to assume that the next two we're doing kind of feel like earn your stripes work. Sure, yeah. So I was just curious what her trajectory would have been had her debut come in the form of, of an actual leading role rather than sort of this 
tertiary character in a in a raunch comedy. Yeah, it's. I wonder if she would have worked her way up like she did, or if it would have just been you know. You know, would maybe her star have burned out really soon, if she had um. If she had really kind of been blasted, kind of put into leading roles. Right. I think with her visibility with um with Greece too. It's funny that she wanted to do Greece too because this feels so reminiscent of Greece to me. You know, it's and almost was like, well, of course she had to do Hollywood Nights because then she had to go do Greece too. It feels very much like it was all meant to be. Yeah, the second she gets out of the car in her little drive drive-in uniform, I'm just like, of course they cast her in Greece too. Like just just look at her. She fits right in. Yeah, I wonder if the projects would have been as interesting. I wonder if even something like she would have been thought of for Scarface. You know, would it have been a different newcomer? Right. Would she have been so, would she have been thought of for Batman even, or for Dangerous Liaisons? Would she maybe been considered, if she had been, if her star had been so high, would she have, would it have been possible for her and Glenn Close to have, I feel like you can have two big star females in those in, in that movie, but, you know, I think Glenn is definitely the, the, a big draw there in Dangerous Liaisons, so. Yeah. It's interesting to think about and see, you know, how the trajectory could have gone. Exactly. But yeah, it's just interesting to think if she had done Urban Cowboy and been a lead. You know, she really didn't have another lead, like, above the credit, carrying the movie on her own until Married to the Mob. You know, post the four movies we're talking about, post Grace 2. So who, who, who knows what her career would have been like, but it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, we love our revisionist history. Yeah, for sure. I also think probably Todd has something to say about it as well. I don't know what her damage is tonight. She has never been this vocal during a podcast recording and she is just going full drama on me tonight. I don't, I don't understand. Todd's got something to say. She did watch the movie with me. She fell asleep, so I guess that's her review. Okay. Uh, do we have anything else, do you think? I don't think so. I did, I did write down that, much like any movie that, that pulls this trick out of the bag, I loved the soundtrack, because it's just clips of like your favorite 50s and 60s songs the entire time. It was crazy. Like every... Every time they go to a new scene, it kicks off with one of the songs you know and love. So, yeah, there, there are definite pros to this movie. Do we recommend this movie? No. <laughs> I would pretty much steer clear. Um, you know, I think there are other train wrecks for you to watch <laughs> and have a much more enjoyable time doing so. What about you though? Would I? Would you maybe? Would you recommend it? <laughs> I. I don't know. I guess it depends on who I'm recommending it to. Sure. Like I said, it it has pros. It is not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but you definitely have to be in the mood for it. And hopefully, if you're watching it after this, listening to this podcast, you'll know what you're getting into. I'll put it that way. Which. I would be willing to bet money that now having seen it once, when if and when I watch it again in six or seven years, I'm going to like it more because I know exactly what I'm getting into this time around. Hmm, maybe. 
you'll maybe be able to appreciate some more instead of kind of being that initial kind of shock that we can have when we watch a movie, you know, we're letting it sweep over us for the first time. And I mean, the, the poster art that at least iTunes was pushing because this actually is available to run on iTunes, shockingly enough, like she, Michelle and Tony Danza are like embracing front and center on that poster. I haven't looked up if that was the poster from 1980. I'm going to assume it's not. But they have definitely switched that marketing at some point to be like, Michelle Pfeiffer and Tony Danza are in this. I'm not going to tell you for how long, but they are in this. This is definitely the new poster. The poster that at least is on Letterboxd is a very American graffiti-esque cartoony poster. All the women are kind of pin up, it's, it's, it's a cartoon. So, you know, it looks like Fran Drescher is front and center in this poster with, um, with, uh, with Newbaum. And of course, Fran is it's kind of an hourglass figure kind of characterized. There is a, it's funny, there's Michelle Pfeiffer is sitting on the hood of the car and a pair in her little roller girl outfit, looking wonderful. But at first, when you had mentioned, you know, she was Miss Orange County, I thought it was her pageant outfit. Oh. I guess her kind of roller outfit does kind of have like a nice big stripe down the middle. Yeah. So I was like, is that Michelle in the beauty queen outfit? Did they just <laughs> lean into this for her? But, um, you know, they've got, um, it's just men chasing after women in bikinis and women in bikinis chasing after men in swimsuits. And then there's the, the tubbies drive in. And then there's the, the idiots in a police car. So it's, it feels like a, they're definitely pulling from, you know, the nostalgia. It tells um, you exactly what the movie is. I think it's much more indicative of what this movie is than the iTunes poster. Yes. But yeah, that's, that's all I got on this one. Yeah, that's all I got too. Um, then to move into six degrees of. Yes, please. La Pfeiffer. Do you want to just give a brief explanation for any first sure. of Six Degrees? Yes. So Six Degrees of Michelle Pfeiffer is when we each give the other an actor and we have to connect them through other actors to Michelle Pfeiffer in Six People or Less. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also kicking off new rules as we are now and sort of the second part of our five-part exploration of Michelle Pfeiffer. And we are retiring four actors from our connection to make it more difficult. And those four are Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Diane Keaton, and Helena Bonham Carter. Yep. So we now have to connect to Michelle Pfeiffer without utilizing any of those four, which especially cutting out Al Pacino and Diane Keaton, this is going to be an interesting ride <laughs> this, this time around. I just realized I, I thought of one today and I went in such a long way to get to it when I realized that, that I just, when we were, we were talking about the people, for some reason, I was like, oh, you can actually connect mine and just one person if you really. So, but it's, it's, it's not one of those four. Oh. Okay. I'll just give yours, I'll give it to you. Um, mine was, I really, mine was Emily Blunt. Okay. 
feel like now I'm just gonna like overthink it. Um, Emily Blunt, what? Okay, I think I'm going a little, I'm not doing the, the one, I'll tell you that. I haven't thought of that one yet. Um, I'm doing Michelle with Cher in Eastwick. Okay. Who is in Silkwood with Merrill, who is in Prada with Emily Blunt. Okay. Bless you. Bless you, my goodness. It's good. Usually, I don't think I've ever sneezed in front of you, Jerry. I usually am like, like a <laughs> four sneezer. People are awful to me because they, I sneeze in like threes and fours. So they're like, I always wait till he's fully done before I say bless you. Shade. You are not the only person that does that. So who, who was your one connection? My one was um, Rupert Friend because she was in Rupert, she was in The Young Victoria with Rupert Friend. He played Prince Albert. Of was course. Cherie with Michelle. It just dawned on me. I was like, oh, there's such a much shorter way of getting there, but. I had forgotten that that was him. Okay, so it's weird that you mentioned Roller Girl earlier because Roller Girl was in my head when I was thinking of my person. Okay. Um, which was Heather Graham in Boogie Nights, but I'm not giving you Heather Graham, I'm giving you Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Okay. Um, Mark Wahlberg. Okay. We'll go, I'll go with Michelle. So Michelle Pfeiffer was in Batman Returns and um, Hairspray with Christopher Walken. Yes. In Catch Me If You Can with Amy Adams, who was in The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg. Hooray. We both did really well this week, especially, we with, especially with retiring people. Good Lord. Well, that's what... I need to make sure I write down those four. I, I knew pretty much, I was like, okay, De Niro, Pacino, Bonham Carter, Diane Keaton was the one that I couldn't remember. And we um, really don't have to retire Diane Keaton because she's never a direct correlation to Michelle. It was always, she's always Al Pacino great. is in something with Diane Keaton. Like, <laughs> But, um, it was actually not, I, even though I kept it in mind, it actually wasn't too bad. It did, it kept, it really, it was good. It helped me think outside the box instead of making it just be like, oh, I'll just do this because Al Pacino, you know. Um, it definitely, it made the game more fun. Yeah. Well, Pfeiffer fans. <laughs> Boy, this has been another episode of Pfeiffer Fridays. I'm really looking forward to talking about our next two ones though. Um, I'm hoping that our, both our Amazon orders of um, falling in love again come in soon. Yes, this is how much we love you listeners. We bought used copies of Falling in Love Again on DVD so that we can bring you every single movie of Michelle Pfeiffer. And um, that'll be next week, so, or the next episode that we have, um, tune in for that. Um, I am Michael McLean, and you can follow me um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Michael D. McLean. And I am Jerry Downey, and you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Jerry Downey 913. 
you can follow the podcast itself on Twitter at Pfeiffer Fridays. Um, please remember to rate and review us. Um, it makes us easier to find so we can continue to spread the Michelle gospel. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you again next week for Pfeiffer Fridays. <laughs>